I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, and Airdrie. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. In our study on the Gospel of Matthew, we are in a sermon series called Press On. The Christian life involves perseverance against all kinds of oppositions. And God expects an unwavering commitment from us, no matter what we face in life. It is in this battle of perseverance against all odds that God the Holy Spirit shapes us into the image of Christ. This section of the Gospel of Matthew that we're going to look at presents Jesus as a model for all of us. Jesus shows us how to press on when we are overwhelmed by odds, how to stay the course when things try to deter us in our Christian race. Today, I want to talk to you about pressing on in the midst of disappointments. You don't need to be very far in your Christian journey to find out God doesn't follow the blueprint that you have in mind for your life. We all start with preconceived notions of what we want from life. We have an idea of how everything should pan out, and it is a plan that looks great from a human point of view. It is a life in which everything makes sense. All the events, happenings, and circumstances are all neat and orderly. Our dreams and longings come to pass. But in real life, when things don't go our way, when our hopes and expectations are crushed, when our dreams don't come true, it results in disappointment. Now, I run into disappointed Christians all the time. You always wanted to be married at a young age. You dreamed of lots of kids running around the house, a large, happy family. But your expectations have not come true. And here you are pushing 30, maybe 40, and you're still single, and your dream is just slipping out of your hands. You put so much time and effort in raising your children. Your dream was to see them come to know Jesus at a young age, make the right choices in life. You prayed with them and for them for years. And now they're grown up, they're on their own, living in with someone before marriage, breaking all the moral boundaries, and showing very little interest in the things of God. And you wonder all along, what did I do wrong? You had a great career, worked hard all your life. You were diligent in what you did. Work was your highest priority, more than family, church, hobbies. You put in the long hours, and you said to yourself, one day I will take early retirement. I will get to make up for all this loss. I'll spend time with my family, go on long vacations and travel. And as you're nearing that retirement, you receive an ominous diagnosis, cancer. And your world has been rocked. I didn't make any of these stories up. These are people I have personally known over the years. 
Life doesn't promise to meet all our expectations, not even the Christian life. I hear stories over and over of how health, marriage, family, finances, relationships turn into a disaster. What do you do? How do you live with those disappointments? How can we keep them from dampening our zeal and passion to follow Jesus? Now, today I want to show us from Jesus' life how he did it. Jesus was no stranger when it came to disappointments. He faced a number of them. And today we will look at a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Matthew of how Jesus coped with the horrific news of loss how Jesus didn't allow disappointments to affect his mission, but instead allowed his ministry to flow out of his disappointments. Now, if you are physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. This applies to those who are watching online as well. Matthew chapter 14, verses 3 to 14. This is God's Word. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it, then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we have been walking through some dark times all around the world. And as a result, we are facing a great deal of disappointment, of canceled plans, and so many other things that are outside of our control, and the uncertainty that continues to loom large all around us. And I also recognize that there are some people who are listening to me today who are deeply disappointed because their life's expectations have not come true. Lord, would you minister to them tenderly today? Because I know you care for them, and you want to bring words of affirmation and hope. So speak to us in the power of your Spirit. We open our hearts to you, and we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Everyone may be seated. Herod Antipas was a horrible man. He was the youngest son of Herod the Great. Now, if you remember Herod the Great from the Christmas story, 
He was the guy who heard from the Magi, the wise men, that a baby is born in Bethlehem who will be the king of the Jews. Herod the Great saw this baby as a rival, as a threat. So he ordered the killing of all the boys two years and under in the town of Bethlehem. Now his son, Herod Antipas, was no better man. When he went to visit his brother Philip, he was enamored by Philip's wife. And he seduces his own sister-in-law. And after the fact, Antipas himself was a married man. Herod Antipas divorces his wife, convinces his sister-in-law to divorce his brother, and these two get married. Can it get any more complicated than that? And John the Baptist was a guy who never minced his words. He was not happy with all this, and he wasn't going to keep quiet. He confronts both of them for their sins. Now, it was Herod Antipas' birthday, and he invites his stepdaughter, his brother's daughter, to do a questionable dance before him and his guests. And in his drunken stupor, he makes her a ridiculous promise. Your dance was so good that I'll give you anything you ask. As she goes to her mother and says, I hit the jackpot, what do I do? Her mother, Herodias, hated John the Baptist, held a grudge in her heart, for openly confronting their sins. So rather than asking for lots of wealth, she demands John's head on a platter. Now Herod had to stay true to his oath because he didn't want to lose face in front of his guests. So John the Baptist's head got chopped. He must have been a little over 30 years old. That was a tragic end to a great person's life. There was no supernatural intervention from heaven, and John the Baptist died as a martyr. Jesus received this news, this disappointing news that John had died. Now, whenever you hear about the death of someone you know, you're immediately flooded with memories of the interactions that you had with, the per with this person. So Jesus also would have thought about John the Baptist. Now, their very first meeting happened when they were both in their mother's tummies from where they communicated. Remember when Mary came to visit Elizabeth? One is a virgin and the other beyond the age of childbearing, and they had this in common. They both were pregnant. Now when Mary came to visit Elizabeth, John the Baptist, inside his mother's womb, gets excited and does a jig. That's his way of saying hello to Jesus. So they had this close relationship. John's job was to prepare the way for Jesus. He was the forerunner who would announce the arrival of the king. One of the greatest highlights of John's life must have been Jesus' baptism. Now, how could Jesus forget that moment as he walked into the Jordan River to be baptized by John? So John, his cousin, this daring prophet whom Jesus referred to as the greatest of all men, the one who faithfully prepared the way for Jesus, dies a tragic death 
becomes a victim of unbelievable evil. This was all unfair, unjust, unnecessary. So Jesus receives this heartbreaking news along with all, all the horrid details associated with this. In the time that we have today, I want us to focus on Jesus' response to this great disappointment. From this story, we can learn something very important, lessons on how to handle our own personal disappointments. I look at Jesus' response here, the first part of verse 13 of our text. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Jesus was God. But here in our text, you see the human side to Jesus. All Jesus wanted was some time alone. He just wanted to process this disappointing news all by himself. Clearly, Jesus was hurting. It was painful. It was discouraging. He was feeling numb, and Jesus wanted some solitude. Notice this. There's nothing supernatural about Jesus' response here. He didn't say, ha, I knew this was coming. Rather, what we see is a human Jesus wrestling with the issue of painful emotions like we all do. As Jesus heard about John's violent death, it would have brought to his mind his own impending death it was coming soon. Jesus knew what happened to John would also happen to him. He was going to suffer even more. And he needed time alone to process all this with God the Father. In ministry, there is a time for engagement and there is a time for withdrawal. There's a time to be active and a time to take rest. And Jesus felt this was a time to lay low. In fact, Jesus made this a regular habit, not just ceasing from activity to rest, but slowing down so he could hear the voice of his Father. That's how Jesus received his marching orders. Those moments that he spent alone with his father gave Jesus the heavenly perspective to his earthly circumstances. Solitude is a forgotten spiritual discipline in our day and age. We are so addicted to noise that we don't know how to unplug. If the Son of God needed solitude in order to hear the voice of His Father, how much more you and I need solitude in order to hear the Father's voice? One of the ways we deal with disappointments in life is by being alone in the presence of God. We desperately need God's perspective to our situation. There's a deep work that God needs to do within us while we are waiting. Know this, it is safe for us to take our disappointments to God, to share our unfulfilled longings and our feeling of being let down. 
You're not going to shock God with anything that you say. What is debilitating is when we leave those feelings unprocessed, when we try to bury them. That's when we can threaten our faith. But when we are honest, we are inviting God into our pain. So many of the Psalms in the Bible show us the way of how to be brutally honest before God. It is in quietness and silence we can be healed, renewed, and refueled so we can engage effectively in the work God has called us to do. So Jesus gets into his boat so he could find a solitary place where he could process his disappointments with God. Guess what happens? Look at verse 13. When Jesus heard about what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Somehow, people get wind of the news that Jesus is going somewhere, and they start following Jesus. They travel on foot to meet Jesus on the other side of the lake. So when Jesus reaches the shore with hopes of finding a quiet time, a place to be alone with God, he is in for a big surprise. A crowd of about 10,000 people were waiting to hear Jesus speak. You almost feel sorry for Jesus. Hey, leave the guy alone. He's grieving. He's processing some disappointing news. His cousin, someone he was so close with, had died tragically. This is not the time for Jesus to give. It is a time for him to receive. This is not a time for ministry. This is a time for Jesus to grieve. And you would think Jesus would say, send the crowd away. I am not in the right frame of mind. I can't give a sermon now. The very next verse is touching. Look at verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Wow. Jesus is not flustered or angry at his privacy being interrupted, but he has compassion on the crowd. It's the same word used in Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because he saw them as people who were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. In the middle of his own pain, Jesus saw the pain of other people. When you are confronted with disappointment, whatever it may be that you're wrestling with. The temptation is to start focusing inward. We think of our situation, our little situation, and start wallowing in self-pity, feel awful about what we are going through. That's all we can think of. We are overwhelmed by our personal problem, consumed by our own interests. 
But Jesus, in his disappointment, doesn't look inward, but he focuses his attention outward. He's not going to be crusty and bitter because of his personal disappointments. Jesus focuses his attention on the needs of other people, and he ministers to their pain. The people had walked a long way to hear him speak. They had no food. They were suffering from all kinds of sickness, and they were hurting in so many ways. And Jesus' heart overflows with compassion, and he meets the needs of others. See, there is an emotive component to our word compassion. The Greek word for compassion means to feel moved, to suffer alongside someone. Jesus felt it deeply. This was not something superficial. He, his heart just went out to the people. Jesus himself needed emotional healing, but he reaches out and he heals. Jesus needed some empathy, but he demonstrated compassion. And he feeds the crowd of nearly 10,000 people who are hungry. Jesus, how do you churn up compassion and you should be just drowning in self-pity. I think compassion flowed out of his own disappointment. Now look at what Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. Jesus was a man of sorrows. So he knew from experience and could identify with the grief of other people. It is very hard to identify with the pain of other people when you have never suffered in life. If you've lived an easy life, you will have a hard time relating to those people who are in distress. Because Jesus himself suffered personal disappointments, because he was not cocooned from the rough realities of life, he could identify and empathize with others in their suffering. That is why disappointment can become an effective ministry tool. God can shape your disappointment and birth in you a great compassion for others who are on the same boat. And out of that flows a powerful ministry that can bless so many. Christian author Philip Yancey put it this way in an interview. God isn't in the pain removal business so much as God is in the pain recycling business. Being in the presence of God may not mean your pain will disappear, but they can be recycled and redeemed and channeled for God's purposes. I know of a woman in our church who went through a bitter divorce for no fault of hers. 
took her entirely by surprise. It came out of nowhere. The first few months were hard, and she struggled. But she refused to succumb to that self-destructive, attention-seeking behavior. She found her healing in Jesus. And from there on, for years, she has been serving in our divorce care team, ministering to other people who are reeling from divorce. That is one way to channel your disappointments in God's mission. And when I came to faith in Christ from a Hindu family in India, I was the first to become a Christian in my entire family lineage. And it was not easy navigating the oppositions from your own close family members. Yet through this, God has given me a heart for people who come to know Jesus from different faith backgrounds. And I love meeting with them, hearing their story, talking to them about it, and sharing from my own experience, offering them encouragement and support. And now, I'm amazed to see people from around the world are now reaching to me, asking, I've now become a Christian. How do I navigate through the challenges that come from my family? I'm grateful that God has taken what was one of my personal disappointments and he has leveraged it for his kingdom purposes. Whatever your disappointment may be, they can become your most effective ministry too for Jesus. Maybe you suffered a miscarriage and your heart was crushed. You now can have a powerful ministry to others who suffer from the same pain. Maybe you know what it means to lose a job. Walk with others who are on the same road. You know from firsthand experience the challenge of mental illness or a cancer diagnosis. You have so much to offer others who are in a similar situation. Don't waste your disappointments. Let God recycle it, redeem it, and use it as a ministry tool to bless so many other people. I tell you, disappointments can empower us prepare us, equip us to be God's agent of healing to the world around us. Now, here's a caveat. I'm not advocating that focusing on ourselves is wrong, that you should somehow ignore your pain. No, self-care is critical. What I'm saying is, don't just sit there and sulk in your disappointment. Don't live under its grip. Don't let it dictate terms. Don't give in to a victim mentality. Rather, let God heal you and use your pain as a means of healing to other people. That's how in our own weakness we see God's strength being manifested.
And having said that, the principle remains. There is a time to engage and there is a time to withdraw. And the purpose of withdrawing is to be refueled so we can get back at it with a greater passion. Just a few verses later in our passage, after feeding the large crowd, Jesus manages to find some time alone. Look at Matthew 14, verse 23. After he, Jesus, had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Finally, Jesus got the time alone that solitude that he was craving for, those precious moments to be refreshed in God's presence. And that is how Jesus could carry on his ministry effectively, even when faced with disappointments. Self-care is essential, and we need to know that unless we care for ourselves, we are in danger of being burned out. And one of the ways we care for ourselves is by elevating the value of solitude and waiting in the presence of God. And especially when we are wrestling with deep disappointments, let it be a reminder to take a break and linger longer in His presence. For as we wait on the Lord in silence, our convictions will be renewed, and God will restore our hope. Let me close with this. We find this intriguing story in the book of Genesis, chapter 16. Abraham's wife, Sarah, is unable to conceive. So she suggests to her husband, Abraham, to sleep with her slave, Hagar. Hagar is pregnant. And there's a relational conflict now between Sarah and Hagar. Sarah now becomes jealous of Hagar and starts mistreating her. It becomes unbearable to the point Hagar had to flee out of desperation. So here is Hagar, pregnant, being mistreated, running away from her mistress, totally defenseless, not knowing where to go. Hagar, in her deep disappointment, looks up to God. And God speaks to her through his angel. And the first thing he says is her name. If you read all through Genesis 16, both Abraham and Sarah don't call Hagar by name, but merely refer to her as a slave over and over, like as though she's a commodity. Hagar was unloved, uncared for, and abused. But God, when he speaks to her, doesn't address her as a slave, but he calls her by name, Hagar, Hagar. And God offers her words of encouragement. Hagar is strengthened by this encounter that she has with God, and she gives God a name. Now, if you are battling with disappointment in your life, this is something you really need to pay attention to. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 13, it says, 
She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Of all the people in the world, God saw Hagar, a slave, someone who had been forgotten by everyone else. But God knew her by name. Her situation, her circumstances were not hidden from God's sight. He exactly knew what she was going through, and he brought her great comfort. And I want you to know today, whoever is listening to me, that God sees you. When you go to him with your deep disappointment, he knows your name. He is fully aware of your pain. And nothing that you have faced in life have ever escaped God's attention. And this same God who sees you is well able to recycle your pain and bring something good out of it. ask all of us to stand right now. This time, I'm going to hand it over to our worship team. But before that, I want us to maintain a moment of silence. Because I know there are some of you here, you are still battling with deep disappointments. You feel God has not come through in your life. And somehow He has let you down. I want you to take this moment of silence to process your disappointment with God. This is a time for you to be totally honest with Him. And even as you express your disappointment, ask Him how He can use this as a ministry tool in your life. Going to maintain a moment of silence and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to each and every one of us. After a brief moment of silence, I'll close this in prayer and then hand it over to the worship team for our final song. Lord, we thank you that you indeed are the God who sees. You see every person today who's listening to this message. Nothing is hidden before you. All of our heartbreaks and pain, the moments when we feel so let down, moments when we are on our knees, Wondering, is there anyone who understands what I'm feeling like? You are the God who sees. You see through our heart. You are able to understand and sympathize with us. So we surrender our disappointments to you, Lord. Help us to process them. Speak to us in those moments of solitude.
that, Lord, you will give us a heavenly perspective to our earthly challenges. And as you redeem this very situation, as you recycle our pain, out of that, we pray, will birth a ministry that will be effective in bringing healing to others who are hurting. So channel our disappointments and use each one of us to live a life that will be productive and will advance your kingdom. Today we pray you will fill our hearts with hope for in Christ alone our hope is found and we give you all the praise. Amen.